Welcome to Who Would Have Thought, a digital health innovation podcast. 20 years ago, who would have thought that so many people would have smartphones? 20 years from now, what will the new Who Would Have Thoughts become that will significantly improve the quality of life for everyone? Take a deep dive into the rapid innovation happening around healthcare. Explore the perspectives of the industry leaders today and inquire into the digital technologies of tomorrow. This is a conversation to discover the future of digital health, and it starts now. Welcome to Who Would Have Thought. My name is Sasha Hapel, Chief Marketing Officer of SmartTab, and I'll be hosting this podcast today with Robert Nischel, our founder and CEO. Robert's background is in leadership and management of pharmaceutical research and development. He founded SmartTab in 2016 to develop novel drug delivery systems at our lab in Catalyst Health Tech Innovation Center in Denver, Colorado. Today, we speak with an accomplished healthcare innovator who focuses on driving strategic campaigns that change the world in which we live. Dr. Roxy Mooney is a jack of all trades when it comes to healthcare strategy and empowering innovators at their most pivotal moments. Today, we dive into a conversation about the importance of marketing and healthcare innovations. And with that, I'm going to pass it over to you, Robert, to introduce our extraordinary guest. Thank you, Sasha. I'd like to introduce Dr. Roxy Mooney, strategist, business professor, healthcare innovator, empower, and fellow podcast host. She leverages her traditional educational background with over 20 years of business practice, seven years of researching peer-reviewed articles, and countless interviews with health innovators to ensure success in bringing healthcare innovations to market. Hello, Dr. Roxy, and thank you for joining us on the show today. I'd like to start our show off today by asking you about your role as a healthcare innovation strategist. What exactly does this mean and exactly what do you do in this role? So I come alongside health innovators and I help them commercialize their innovations. And so as we talk about the health innovation role, sometimes it might vary whether they are a corporate innovator or a startup founder. As a corporate innovator, I might be helping them with their innovation strategy. So that would kind of look a little bit differently when we're talking about building the right innovation culture and also helping them with kind of creating this balance between exploiting new opportunities and being able to stay within their current business model and how do they balance those two dichotomies together. And then for startup entrepreneurs, it's kind of really just as it sounds, you know, helping them go from idea to full-scale adoption. Yeah, that, that's really interesting. It seems to me that understanding a business, you know, especially the marketing strategy is something that really does, it kind of stays behind the scenes, but but it truly does decide whether or not a, a business will succeed or fail. And then really looking at, you know, the next question, let's talk about legacy DNA, where you serve as a healthcare commercialization strategist and digital health advisor. So let's have you talk a little bit about that. Sure. So I started Legacy DNA in 2010. So we've been operating the company for about 11 years. We started off as a healthcare marketing agency. We were probably uh, maybe about seven years into it. I decided to go back to school and get my doctorate in business. And once I graduated with all of my work that I'd done around commercializing innovations, decided to develop a, a separate division within the company that's focused on that commercialization strategy. So we run both. So the way I kind of describe it is everything that we're doing in both of those divisions 
organizations is helping innovators get to their path to profit. It could be like the early pre-launch stage through the pilot or whether it's like, you know, the launch and then full scale growth. Yeah, that sounds very exciting. And, you know, that kind of leads us into the next question. So how is working, you know, with or at Legacy DNA inspired you to help, you know, pre-NDA, pre-FDA companies to create marketing strategies, you know, that help them reach the levels of, say, a Lipitor, the best-selling drug, you know, currently. So how does that all fit together? Well, don't we all want to be the unicorn? <laughs> you know, it, it's it's interesting. I think that there's this myth that you can't do any marketing or you shouldn't invest any resources in marketing until the product is ready to launch. And I think, you know, Lipitor is a really good example of a lot of those pre-launch investments that they made in marketing. But the way I describe it is that there are, you know, there's different marketing strategies for different conditions of the market. And a lot of times we overlook that. It, and it depends on what's happening in the marketplace on what's going to be the best strategy for you. So if you're talking about a mature market, let's say like Lipitor, by the time they finally got FDA approval, then your your strategy is kind of along the lines of our car is better than horses, right? The way you're positioning your innovation, the way your messaging is going to be really different. And so the Lipitor example is is really good where they ex ex examined the landscape. They knew that they were later to the market. They even when they surveyed a lot of the physicians in that market, it was, you know, they didn't think that there was a need that, that they thought that the market was already being served by the other statins that were already in the marketplace. And with the, the Lipitor example, they believed that their clinical data showed that they outperformed the current solutions. So they came up with this genius marketing program. I mean, and right now it's kind of like really common, but, you know, in the late 90s and the early 2000s, it was a little bit more revolutionary then. They came up with a, a direct-to-consumer campaign of Know Your Numbers. So that way they were driving that whole data conversation that validated the better performance of their solution. So again, because they, you know, they were just really smart in building that strategy and looking at the landscape and then knowing what decisions that they needed to make and really driving that home. And of course, you know, they spent tens of millions of dollars in that campaign, and that certainly helped them catapult the competition and disrupt some of the more first-to-market players, which I think is kind of a misnomer. A lot of times we think that when you're first-to-market that you um, are going to automatically have commercial success, and that isn't the case. Sometimes you can be a late entrant and be able to understand where some of the gaps and figure out where you fit in, just like Lipitor did, and really steal market share. Yeah, that's really um, you know interesting how it's kind of a combination you know behind with with the company empowering their products and then actually using the patients to empower themselves, know your numbers, and then you know to, to be both successful different parts of bringing the, the product to market. So, you know, speaking of empowerment, I'd like to touch on a very inspiring project you're currently involved with called the One Purse. And then can you tell us a little bit more about what you do there and then the mission of the organization? Yep. So I'm on the board. I've been on the board for about five or six years now. 
with a, a dear friend of mine that launched the organization. And she came up with this crazy idea that she was going to use purses, something that and if you have girlfriends or wives or sisters or mothers, you know that we usually have a closet full of purses. Right? So she was using the idea of something that most women had in their closet as a way to create awareness and resources to help sex trafficking survivors. So if you're in, just in case the audience is not familiar with this, there's a huge issue with sex trafficking in the United States. And most of the programs and resources are around rescue or around those early part-time shelters. But there's really very little resources, what we call like next step resources, that's helping them to get out of those circumstances and situations that we're in to really kind of create a new future for themselves. So a lot of the work that she does and I do through One Purse is raising funds and raising awareness to help those survivors go back to college, go to beauty school, you know, whatever it is that they need to do to dream about a different future and then start putting some action and then some investment in that. It's really, really amazing work. It's heart-wrenching to hear those stories, but it's really in our backyard and a lot of economies just hide it, right? So if we're not familiar with it, it's just because the governments are trying to do, you know, hide what's really happening in our backyard. So it's a it's a cause that's very dear to my heart. Yeah, and thank you for that. And it's truly important work. And, you know, talking about it and sharing it with our listeners. So, you know, expanding on that a little bit more, you're a professor at the Gender Leadership and Coaching and Consulting at Palm Beach, Atlantic University. Maybe tell us a little bit more about the important lessons that you teach your students and, you know, how all that relates to the field of healthcare. Yeah, what a great topic. We could talk the whole hour just about that. <laughs> I'm not saying we need to, Bob. I'm just saying we could. <laughs> you know, it's a phenomenon and an issue that we're very much aware of today, much more than ever before. So I, I really am grateful for the opportunity to be able to influence leaders, both men and women, in being able to be able to change some of their beliefs about what's possible for them as in moving up the corporate ladder, as well as being able to educate men in, in leadership positions or even just peers and how they can help influence creating a little bit more equality when it comes to leadership across organizations. I would say one of the lessons is just kind of rethinking the barrier. So a lot of times we talk about women having to break through the glass ceiling. And so one of the things that we teach on is really kind of changing that analogy. Instead of thinking about the glass ceiling, think about it more of as a labyrinth that more kind of tuned into the real complexities of it. When you think of a glass ceiling, it makes you think of like, well, there's going to be this one moment in time and we're going to break through and that, oh, and then it's done, it's over. And, 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 you know, we've broke through the glass ceiling many years ago. We've made great strides with having more female leaders in organizations and more data, more reports to show that organizations can be a lot more profitable and a lot more successful when they have females on their board or females in their C-suite leadership teams. But the reality is what women typically go through is more of a labyrinth. So there's, there's a whole host of differences that we talk about between male and female leaders and talk about a lot of the myths and that we want to debunk. And then some of the true barriers. I would just say that, you know, for people that are listening, as, as women leaders, when we do move up into a position of leadership, I feel like we have a more responsibility to do it well 
because a lot of eyeballs are on us and watching what we're doing. We also have a lot of responsibility to bring other female leaders along in that process. And then I think men have a responsibility as well with helping female leaders. And I'm not talking about people that don't earn it, that don't deserve it, but more of just kind of creating that culture where we have, you know, diverse views and we're creating a culture that really respects the contributions that both men and women make and how I think it affects healthcare. Gosh, we have a lot of work to do. Most of my career has been sitting at a conference table with a lot of white-haired white men. (laughs) And I don't have anything against white-haired white men, but I'm usually one of the, I don't know if I would say token, but I'm usually one of, if not the only female at the board table, at the conference table. And so we have a lot of room to grow in healthcare with really being able to increase the platform and the opportunity for women. And I think that that's going to be a pivotal factor in really being able to transform the healthcare industry. I think that we have some contributions that we can make more than we already are, but we are making a lot of progress. Yes, absolutely. And it's good to see how, you know, the progress is moving along with, you know, all sectors of the population. So, you know, in these podcasts, we, you know, I ask my round of questions and we will uh, pass it over here to Sasha, who's our chief marketing officer, to continue on with questions. So thank you very much today, Dr. Roxy, for my section. And here we go, Sasha. Thanks, Bob. Round two, huh? (laughs) Yep, round two. Here we go. I'm interested in going back to the fact that most companies don't invest in marketing pre-FDA and then end up rushing their marketing campaigns after being FDA cleared or approved. How do you best help companies to see like what are the actual benefits to creating marketing strategies and engaging with potential partners and clientele prior to FDA clearance? Yeah, I think, you know, one of the best ways to be able to motivate and inspire leaders to make an earlier investment in marketing is to, you know, case studies, right? Real world examples of other companies that have done it and done it well and demonstrating the the real ROI that they've gained from it. And there's so many different examples out there. You know, I don't understand why marketing has been such an overlooked discipline in marketing in general. You know, we are at least five or 10 years behind other industries in healthcare marketing or pharmaceutical marketing. Pharmaceutical marketing is, you know, kind of advancing, I think, even a little bit more than the overall healthcare industry, certainly, but there's still so much opportunity for growth. And it's just smart. You know, there's different strategies and tactics during pre-launch, definitely special considerations when we're talking about pre-FDA, but there's a lot of benefits to investing marketing dollars in that. I mean, and look at us here today with you guys hosting and producing a podcast show. I think that it is a very wise decision that will pay off a hundredfold in the future. And you didn't pay me to say that. (laughs) No, I didn't. Yeah, I appreciate that so much. Yeah, it's funny. This podcast has actually become one of our largest drivers of traffic to our website. We definitely really love that we started this and and that we get to talk to people like you, really amazing leaders in this field. So, and speaking of podcasts, you have a podcast and I was I love listening to it. You come out with so many episodes and have so many conversations with the uh, health innovators. And I'm curious, what are you learning from hosting these episodes and and having these conversations? 
with so many noteworthy people on your podcast? Gosh, so much. You know, for someone like myself, who's a lifetime learner, who has a doctorate and can't stay in school anymore, really, that it's kind of like being in school, right? Because I'm just continuously learning. And so one of the things that I've learned is how powerful it could be for continuous and ongoing market research and being able to stay connected to our customers. But one of the patterns that I've seen, so after you've been interviewing folks, for a while, you start to see some patterns. And um, one of the things that I thought, which was an aha for me at the time, looking back, I don't, you, you might go, well, that's really duh, you know, not that big of a deal. I knew that, but it wasn't intentionally set out this way, but I interviewed a lot of people in the New England area and then kind of segued into interviewing a lot of people in, in Silicon Valley, in, in California. And I was able to see some very distinct characteristic differences between the innovators that were coming out of New England versus the one that were in Silicon Valley. The things that they brought to the table, the things that the gaps that they had were really very different, but you still saw this pattern. And as you might imagine, and these are like total blanket statements, but I don't want to imply that this is going to be always the case, but there was kind of like healthcare first coming out of New England and maybe then technology and very, very little business acumen or real true understanding of how to commercialize something. Whereas in the the folks that we interviewed out of California, we're much more like technologists and much more experts in commercialization, but certainly had a huge gap around understanding all the complexities of healthcare and probably have a little bit of bumps and bruises to prove it. <laughs> Got it. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, you're, you're obviously a, an extremely determined and focused person, empowering generations of healthcare innovators to come. And I want to know your greatest piece of advice that you give your pupils and how you see people going off and, and putting that advice to use. Like, what would you say is that greatest piece of advice? As if I had this one golden nugget of wisdom. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, the first thing that comes to mind is really mindset training. Right. If, if we, you know, anything, know anything about, you know, human behavior, it's kind of like how we think affects how we feel, affects what we do. And so it all really starts with what we're thinking. And I think that there's a lot of mental training that has to happen as health innovators, whether we are corporate innovators or whether we are in the, you know, startup entrepreneurs that, you know, there there requires a, a large amount of perseverance, endurance, determination, a lot of the traits that you just talked about here, stubbornness and willpower to be able to stay the course, to know when to take a different course of action. But just just being able to be beat up and get back in the arena again and do that over and over and over is something that doesn't always come natural. And I think that we have to have those positive influences surrounding ourselves with people that are helping us shape that have that mindset, right? We certainly can't be surrounded with people that don't support our vision, tell us all the thousand ways that it's not going to work and that we're absolutely lunatics. And then just, you know, podcasts, listening to podcasts, hearing inspiring stories of other people 
people doing it, you know, just positive thinking, all the things that we, you know, kind of know, but I would just kind of umbrella all of that into mindset training. And that should be something that we do every morning before we start off our day. And it doesn't hurt to end our day with something like that too. That's amazing. That That is really, really great advice. I, and it's so nice to speak with people like you who have that mindset and because it definitely spreads, you know, and, and when you talk with somebody who has that mindset, you surround yourself with those people. It just makes it more alive and uh, supports everyone in, in really continuing on the road and, and, and hitting refresh whenever needed along the way. Yeah, you guys know, but you know, leading a startup ain't easy. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, and, you know, we take on these huge problems and it's a lot, it's a lot, it's a lot to carry every day and just, you know, staying empowered and staying positive. It's, uh, it's part of the process for sure. Yeah, getting funding and overcoming the regulatory obstacles and the delays and just the the law, you know, it's just so much more difficult to successfully commercialize something in healthcare than it is in any other industry. So I feel like that mental toughness has to be exponential when you're talking about, you know, being a, a business leader or an innovator in healthcare. Right on. Yeah. And and finally, you know, the, the whole show is who would have thought. So I have to ask this question. You know, 20 years ago, we, we never expected technology would advance to where it is today. Now, looking uh, 20 years ahead or here in the future, what do you see the future holds for healthcare innovation and its innovators? Well, you know, I came across something recently when I was having a conversation with someone new and it's not something that's in the market. It's something that they are looking at getting funded. So they are really, really early stage, but it reminded me of the Jetsons is, is that literally you would go into, let's say like a little, almost like a portalette, <laughs> like the size of a portalette. Um, and you sit on a chair and it is your healthcare visit. It actually reads all of your vitals. It takes your temperature. I mean, it, I mean, obviously this would be something maybe at like a minute clinic kind of thing, but imagine that the physician is not even there and you're just like the Jetsons, you're kind of like going into a little room and done. Those types of things, I think is some of the things that we will start to see in the future. If you think about the example that you gave of like going back 20 years and today, I love to use the Jetsons analogy. I mean, who would have thought as kids when we were watching that cartoon that they would have telehealth, but that telehealth was in that cartoon way back then. And so I want to see this is maybe not necessarily for healthcare, but I want to see all of the Jetsons attributes come to fruition. I want to be able to have a little device that I go in and push a button and there's dinner, push a button, my hair's done, push a button, my makeup's on, you know, like I want all of that. I want all of the Jetsons in the future. (laughs) That's awesome. What about space travel? Yes, space travel. (laughs) And we all want a Rosie, right? (laughs) The robot. That's awesome. Awesome. Yeah, well, well, Dr. Roxy, just thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for your empowering words and mindset and all that you do for health innovators in the space and just the contribution that you are for this future generation. We really appreciate you coming on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a great conversation. Great questions. Thank you. 